Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's his pitch. Swing and a line drive. Shallow center. Taylor coming hard. He won't get there. It drops in front of him for a base hit. Scoring from third is Victor Robles. Alex Cole will stop at second base. And the Nationals get a clutch two-out hit here in the second. It's now Washington three and Minnesota nothing. 1-0 to Abrams. Swing a fly ball deep right field toward the corner. Way back it goes. It is gone. The first home run in a Nationals uniform for C.J. Abrams. A three-run shot breaks it wide open. It's 8-2 Nationals. He went down and golfed a low changeup over the 23-foot fence right down the line. Right-handed ready. Now the pitch swing and a ground ball. Base hit into left field. Robles around third being waved home. He'll score without a play. Larnack will throw it into third. As Alex Call pulls into second. Jamer Candelario drives in his second run of the day and team leading 11th of the year. As the Nationals reach double digits here in Minneapolis. It's now the Nationals 10 and the Twins 4. And Rocco Baldelli out of the dugout. The Twins manager on his way to the mound to make a pitching change. Hope it's 20 degrees for like the next four months. <laughs> yeah, they're playing well. They're swinging the bats. I mean, they're, they're making contact, playing good defense. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, April 23rd, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Target Field in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We on Saturday for a second consecutive day set a new record for the coldest Nationals regular season game since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 04-05 offseason. Your game time temperature for Saturday afternoon's Game two at the Minnesota Twins, an oh-so-cold 35 degrees. This off the game time temp for Friday night's game at the Twins being 37 degrees. But the Nats won on Friday night 3-2, and the Nats won on Saturday afternoon 10-4. The Nats now have won two consecutive games. This is called a winning streak, in case you have forgotten. Nats now are 7-13, and and they on Sunday afternoon are going to go for the team's first sweep of a series since August 2021, if you can believe that. Mark, the Nats on Saturday afternoon, 10 runs, 
15 hits, five walks. C.J. Abrams finally homered a day after Joey Manessis finally homered. Who the heck knew that all that the Nats needed for their hitting to get hot was for it to be very cold? Well, if they're not careful here, Al, I think there's going to be some calls for the Nationals to relocate to North Dakota or back to Montreal, perhaps, and play outdoors. They are a different team. I mean, think back. It's not just these two games. Their other best offensive series so far this year came at Coors Field in Colorado where it was cold. Now, maybe some other reasons for that one, but it's a little bit of a strange thing. I I thought it was funny. Davey Martinez said that when it is this cold, sometimes a hitter is more motivated to barrel up the ball because the last thing you want to do when it's 35 degrees is take one off the handle, the bat. So maybe subconsciously, there's some kind of extra motivation to hit well on a cold day. I don't know how to explain it except to say that this has been a long time coming and it's been very nice to see because, look, we knew this was not a great lineup all along. But I think we felt like it had to be better than the lineup that would get shut out back-to-back days by the Orioles and have so much trouble scoring a single run. This at least looks a little bit more like what they could be when they start clicking. It is great to have you on this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. Check out our new website, NatsChatPodcast.com. You can listen to previous episodes of the show. You can contact us. You can also order yourself a great-looking Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Again, that website, NatsChatPodcast.com. Also, if you would like to sponsor the podcast, we'd love to have you on board. We are accepting sponsors for individual games, uh, specific series. You know, we can get creative with how we do, what we do for you. Email us, NatsChatPodcast.com at gmail.com. There were so many offensive standouts for the Nationals on Saturday afternoon, and yet I feel like it's appropriate to begin with a guy who only had one hit. He only went one for five, but what a hit it was and what a needed hit it was. C.J. Abrams, your National starting shortstop, your number eight batter on Saturday afternoon, one for five, but the one was a three-run home run. Yes, C.J. Abrams finally has homered as a national. He and the Nats three-run seventh smashed a one-out three-run home run to right field for an 8-2 Nats lead. The home run Abrams' first of this regular season, his first regular season home run as a Nat period, and just his third home run over 109 major league regular season games. It's so funny, man. Cold temperatures, And yet, the Nats doing well offensively, certainly since the latter innings of Friday night. But Joey Manessis, who so desperately needed a home run, got one on Friday night. C.J. Abrams, who so desperately needed a home run, gets one on Saturday afternoon. And then to provide a cherry on top of the Sunday, a beautiful catch by C.J. in the bottom of the ninth, a terrific over-the-shoulder catch in shallow center field for the first out. Out goes Abrams, long run, and he makes a running catch with his back to the infield. And I want to stress those words, shallow center field. This was not your typical over-the-shoulder running catch by a shortstop where it's like, you know, kind of, sort of in the outfield. This was like well into center field (laughs) where C.J. Abrams ended up making that catch. You saw the full gamut of athleticism from C.J. Abrams in this game. And like you said, yeah, he went one for five and you can say, oh, well, that's not that big a game. No, this was an important game for him. That was a fantastic catch for him. And the home run. I don't know if you noticed the pitch. It was a changeup and it was down below his knees. Not the kind of pitch you're expecting to do that with. And he dropped the barrel of the bat. He got it down there and it looked so effortless. That wasn't a violent swing at all. He just made good, solid contact and watched it fly. And it does show you he has the ability to do that. It's got to be the right pitch, the right situation. He said, 
He's been maybe swinging too much at pitches up in the zone, so he was consciously trying to look for something down in the zone that was even down below the zone. I don't know that C.J. Abrams is about to become a home run threat consistently, but to at least have that in your back pocket and know on the right pitch that you can do that with, it makes a huge difference for them and for him. And it shows you that he can be a more complete offensive player than maybe we've seen here since he got to town. Yeah. I mean, we know the deal. He's not here to just be, you know, a nice little defensive shortstop. Like he's here to be a star shortstop or at least a really good shortstop. And a big component of being a really good shortstop, of course, is hitting. And uh, very nice to see him get that home run on Saturday afternoon. I think in a lot of ways, that was the highlight of the game, even though there were so many other big moments in the game. If you're a Nats fan, well, I mentioned Joey Manessis. He had another good game on Saturday afternoon. He actually was your first baseman for this game, a rare game in which we saw Joey Fourbags playing the one bag and Manessis in this game as a first baseman and number three batter, four for six with a double, two RBI singles, and another single. You know, I don't know if we're ready yet to say that Joey Manessis is heating up, but he certainly has looked pretty good these last few games. And, you know, we did see in this game him go the opposite way. He in the top of the fourth had a two-out opposite field single into right center field. He in the top of the eighth had a one-out double down the left field line, uh, despite having been down in the count at 1.12. He certainly looked like the Joey Manessas we came to know last August and September. Yeah. And he admitted that the last two days, he's felt more like himself at the plate. Maybe just getting that first homer out of the way allows him to relax a little bit and just start swinging the bat the way that he knows how to. And the home runs are great. And we know that ultimately, if he's doing the right things, that's going to happen. But what made him so special last year wasn't the home runs. It was the consistent production, taking pitches the other way, picking up two or three hits on a given night, coming through in clutch situations. His first two hits in this game are singles, and they both drive in runs. So that was three straight hits for him, three straight at-bats for him going back to the previous night all driving in runs. That's what they need from him if he's going to be in the middle of their lineup. And that's how this thing is built for that to be the case. So you do see a little bit of a relaxing, I think, from him. And honestly, I think the rest of the team sees that as well and it allows them to relax. It's unfortunate that a 30-year-old, essentially still a rookie, has to have the weight of the team's shoulders you know, on him. But this is the way they're built. And when he produces, it does allow everyone else to breathe a sigh of relief. And so if he can just keep doing this to some extent, I think it will make a big difference. And, you know, you're starting to see Manessis, Candelario, you even saw Dom Smith with two hits in this game. They don't need superstars, but they just need some production from these guys who are making up the heart of their lineup. I mean, the Nats in this game hit like crazy from a standpoint of every inning. It felt like you had Nats on base. You had the Nats disrupting Twins pitching to where the Twins like never had a clean inning. I mean, again, 15 hits in this game. It was good. It was really good to see the Nats hit like this. You mentioned Dom Smith. He was the DH for this game. Number six batter, two for four, two leadoff singles and a walk. Jamer Candelario as the third baseman, a number two batter, two for five with a double, an RBI single and an RBI sack fly. And, you know, once again, from the go figure department, Victor Robles. So we noted on the last installment of the podcast, Victor Robles in the 3-2 win on Friday night, one for three with a single his first non-bunt single since April 10th. And so what happens on Saturday afternoon? Victor Robles has two more non-bunt hits because of course he did. Uh, Robles, two for four with a triple, an RBI double, 
and a hit by pitch. That's like the ultimate Victor Robles game, right? He had to have the hit by pitch. I mean, that's Robles, right? But how about the triple and the double? So the triple, Nats, one run fourth. Victor Robles had a first pitch leadoff triple to left center field on a fly ball that went off twin center fielder and ex-Nat Michael A. Taylor, who, of course, has so many parallels to Victor Robles. That was like the bizarro world, right? Robles hitting a triple on a ball that went off Michael A. Taylor. But what was so interesting about this play, Robles looked like he was getting a double. And then the Twins, for whatever reason, took forever to get the ball back into the infield. It was so odd. And so Robles, to his credit, this was a heads-up play, found his way on third base. And then the RBI double was beautiful. And that's two-run ninth, a two-out RBI double to the left center field gap for a 9-4 Nats lead. So good job, Victor Robles. Yeah, absolutely good job. And really heads up with the hustle on the triple. And I'm just picturing Nationals fans What's going through their minds as that whole thing plays out? You've got the center fielder of the past, the center fielder of the future coalescing in this one moment. It was always the debate about which one should be the center fielder, which one should they keep, which one should they give up on. And not that that one play justifies or solidifies that one was the right choice over the other. But boy, in that moment, it was hard not to say the Nats wound up with the right guy. Now, I know Victor is a long way to go and you know it may even be too late for him to turn his whole career around from what he was supposed to be. But that was, for a Michael A. Taylor fan, that was a disappointing sequence from him. Because number one, you kind of expect him to catch the ball to begin with because he's been so good at that. And then number two, you do not expect him to fall asleep out there. Maybe he just knowing Victor just assumed that's not something he would try to do. Well, Victor caught him napping and it paid the price for it. And in a different world where this is a closer game, that run may have been really, really important. This was such a good offensive game for the Nats that their leadoff batter went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts and still got on base three times. Like that's how well things were going for the Nats. Alex Call was back in there as the Nats' number one batter and starting left fielder. He went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts, but he also drew two walks and drew a hit by pitch. So there you go. Everything was going swimmingly for the Nats offensively. And how about this from a Twins perspective? So their starting pitcher for this game was Pablo Lopez, who was really bad. The guy who succeeded Lopez in terms of Twins pitching was a reliever named Simeon Woods Richardson. He ended up throwing 97 pitches. I don't know that I've ever seen that. A reliever in a game throwing nearly 100 pitches as Woods Richardson did on Saturday afternoon. And my favorite moment of the game, and I'm saying this sarcastically, is with two outs in the ninth, the Twins pitching coach comes out to the mound for a visit with Mr. Woods Richardson who has thrown 93 pitches to this point, has a mound visit and is left in to continue. When, like, what was that conversation? Oh, okay, you think you got one more batter in you? All right, go get him. And then, of course, one more batter, uh, he gave up the hit and that was the end of his day. Now, he is a starter. He was just called up the other day because the Twins needed some insurance and some length and they certainly needed him in this one. But that was bizarre. 97 pitches in four and two-thirds innings of relief but to the Twins' credit, and you know, on a day when the Nats won comfortably, Davey Martinez used four relievers, Rocco Baldelli only used two, and he barely had to use the second guy, so he saved his bullpen for Sunday's game. We'll see if it makes a difference come then, but if you're going to lose a game, use as few pitchers as possible, right? Yeah, uh, I guess you certainly can look at it that way. It's just so odd. I mean, you know, we watch so many games, so many people listening to this podcast watch so many games. I mean, think back, like how many times have you ever seen a reliever in any game 
throw more than, say, 70 pitches, let alone 97 pitches. That was just odd to see something like that happen, but it did, and that was a credit to the Nationals. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Now the set of the pitch. Swing and a drive toward the gap in left center field. That's going to get down and go to the fence. Rounding third is Riley Adams. He'll score. Robles to second makes the turn and then dives back into the bag. He lost his helmet. And it's now the Nationals nine and the Twins four. 
The Nats starting pitcher on Saturday afternoon was Chad Cool. He lasted for just three and two-thirds innings. Now, he only gave up one run. Uh, The run came in the bottom of the third on a leadoff home run by Byron Buxton to left field to cut the Nats' lead to 4-1. And Cool actually only gave up three hits, the homer a double and a single. But he also issued four walks and a wild pitch. He did have five strikeouts. That's really good over three and two-thirds innings. But the walks and the strikeouts drove up Cool's pitch count to where he, over his mere three and two-thirds innings, ended up throwing 96 pitches. And check out this uh, strikes versus balls breakdown. 49 strikes. That was it. That's all he ended up throwing versus 47 balls, a near one-to-one strikes-to-balls ratio. He only went three and two-thirds innings. So, you know, I mean, you could say, yeah, only one run. You can say, yeah, five strikeouts. To me, this was another bad outing for Chad Cool. I agree. You know, he was trying to paint it in a positive light. Davey Martinez was trying to, you know, find some silver linings in it. Yes, he limited the damage. Yeah, it was a cold day and maybe didn't have a great grip on the ball and that contributed to some of it. But my God, he could not put anyone away. He went to, a, I think, two balls on every single hitter that he faced. And especially when you're handed a lead, you got to just give some length. Even if you put it over the plate and they hit it, so be it. And he was trying to say that, you know, he sort of doesn't want to just give in to them and was trying to hit corners. Well, he wasn't hitting corners. He wasn't even coming close to hitting corners in most of this case. And I just, I couldn't help but think to myself watching this, what is Josiah Gray thinking sitting in the dugout? Josiah Gray has had one run of offensive support in his four starts. And that came after he had even left a game. It was in the ninth inning when they were down by a bunch. The guy has pitched fantastic and has not even come close to getting a win because his teammates have given him nothing. Chad Cool's teammates give him two runs in the first, two more in the second, another one in the fourth, And what does he do with that? He can't even complete the fourth inning himself. So thankfully, Al, he did not complete the requisite five innings, did not get credit with the win because he certainly would not have earned it in this one. But, you know, for now, he's their number five starter. I don't think that's about to change given what the alternatives are. But at some point here along the way, he's got to go deeper in games. He's got to give him a better chance. I mean, yes, they won the game that he started, but he had very little to do with that, in my opinion. The Nationals do have an off day on Monday. So the fact that the team used four relievers in this game isn't the end of the world, but no doubt. I mean, you get given the lead that Chad Cool got given. I mean, that is a recipe for going out there, throwing strikes, working quickly, and eating up some innings. And uh, by the way, quick, this game was not <laughs> three plus hours of Chad Cool and Pablo Lopez uh, having uh, rather high pitch counts as the game went on. But that's one. So you didn't mind watching three plus hours of baseball. The crazy thing is, it felt like interminable, like this is one of the slowest games you've ever seen. If there was no clock out there and I didn't know and you asked me at the end how long that game take, I would have said, oh, at least three and a half hours, maybe 340. 3.09, that's their longest game of the year. You think the pitch clock is working? It absolutely is. It took what still felt like a slow game. All of a sudden, a slow game is just a little over three hours. That was nice to see and to experience. And hopefully, we'll get back in the twos on Sunday. Yeah. Three hours and nine minutes. That was Tuesday last season. Okay. I mean, that was just, you yeah. know, every, every game basically last that season. That was a good game last year. Yeah. In a lot of ways it was. So with the Nats bullpen in this game on Saturday afternoon, four relievers combined to allow three runs, two earned 
in five and a third innings. Uh, Mason Thompson got us going from a bullpen perspective. One run, which was unearned in two and a third innings, four strikeouts. He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He threw, get this, 35 pitches. I just mentioned Chad Cool strikes versus balls breakdown. Mason Thompson, 35 pitches, 27 strikes versus eight balls. That is excellent. And I was so happy that the official score changed the ruling on the Riley Adams play there from a wild pitch to a pass ball. I don't know how anyone could have looked at that and viewed that as a wild pitch. That that was a pass ball all the way. Riley Adams actually essentially ended up committing two, well, not errors, but I guess you would say defensive miscues on the same play. So Kevin Ruiz, on the seventh day, he rested. He actually didn't start a game for the first time in like forever in this game. Riley Adams was an at starting catcher. And, uh, you know, he looked, and that's won the game 10-4. And Adams did have a single and a walk, but he also on the same play had a throwing error and a pass ball. Twins one run fifth, a throwing error and attempting to throw out Joey Gallo at first base off a strike three pass ball that was committed by Adams. But overall, Mason Thompson, I thought, looked good. Once again, uh, he has been really impressive so far this season. And then in terms of what we got from the rest of the Nats bullpen, Hobie Harris did give up two runs, bottom of the seventh, but Carl Edwards Jr., a perfect bottom of the eighth, and uh, Anthony Bonda, scoreless bottom of the ninth inning that included that terrific play by C.J. Abrams. So I think at this point, 20 games in, we would probably agree that Hunter Harvey is their best reliever, the one you feel best about, high leverage spot. I think Mason Thompson's right there with them, right behind him, if not on par with him. What he has done here so far has been really impressive. He's throwing strikes. You gave the breakdown of that one. That was phenomenal. He's going multiple innings. He's pitching out of jams at times. They're bringing him in to get out of a situation. That that was still kind of a big spot that he came in to replace Cool in the fourth with two on and Byron Buxton, a pretty good hitter at the plate, and he got him out. More and more, you have to like what you're seeing from Mason Thompson and envision that this is somebody who's potentially going to be a big part of their bullpen for years to come. This is a reliever from the 2021 trade deadline purge. One of the guys they got from the Padres for Daniel Hudson, he was not a top prospect. He was, a, I think, a top 15 prospect or something of the Padres, but they knew he had good stuff. We saw glimpses of it when he was healthy last year. If he can keep this up, that is a huge get for them and proof that you can get quality players in a rebuild. They don't all have to come from the blockbuster Juan Soto trade. Sometimes you can make these savvy trade deadline moves for a veteran and get somebody who's going to help you for a long time. And right now, Mason Thompson looks like he could be a big part of this moving forward. No doubt. And you know, it's funny with that trade that brought Thompson to the Nats, there were so many trades over that two-day stretch, July 29th and 30th, 2021. And that trade with the Padres was like a late night, early morning trade that broke. And, you know, as we have come to know, you just never know with these things, right? I mean, John Lester for Lane Thomas. And here you have now Daniel Hudson to the San Diego Padres for a pitcher named Mason Thompson and an infielder named Jordy Barley. And here we are. Mason Thompson looks like he might be a piece. I mean, he has really stood out. You know, this goes back to last season. I know he was hurt for a decent chunk of last season, but he looked pretty good once he came back from the injury last season, and a very valuable player who, as we have noted, can give you multiple innings, appearance in and appearance out, and do just fine. So definitely, I mean, him and Hunter Harvey, like you said, have done a really good job. The bullpen for, you know, a second consecutive season is looking like a pretty decent unit here. And as much as we worried coming into the season, well, can they sustain that? Is this going to regress after last year? We know how year to year, that how much that can change. 
I mean, for the most part, the bullpen has been really good and has continued to be a strength. Yes, Finnegan had a big blow up the one game. There've been a couple other of shaky ones, but in the bigger picture, I think the bullpen's been very solid. And when you combine that with quality starting pitching and excellent defense behind them, we see that there is this formula for success. They get through five or into the sixth inning with their starter. They've got enough options now to not burn everyone out. I mean, knock on wood, so far, they really haven't overworked anybody in the bullpen. And they had that stretch there of a lot of days in a row with no off days. And as we know, almost every game they play has been close. So it's not like there are a lot of blowouts. It's worked out really well for them. And it does look like at the moment, this is a sustainable formula for them with a bullpen that was surprisingly good last year. And we didn't know for sure if it was going to continue to be that way this year. So it's going to be interesting. The Nats get another off day on Monday. The Nats have had a lot of off days over the last, you know, say week and a half. And then the Nats don't have another scheduled off day until May 11th. So the Nats are going to go April 25th through May 10th without a scheduled off day. Now, maybe there's a rain out or two in there somewhere, but you wonder if the bullpen will hold up during that stretch. I think there's going to be increased onus on the starting pitching to shoulder its uh, share of the load during that stretch. And, you know, I, I suppose, you you know, you sometimes will see teams take advantage of optionable relievers in stretches without off days just to try to get some fresh arms. You know, hopefully it doesn't come to that for the Nats, but you wonder if it might have been. Again, that is a substantial period of time without a scheduled off day, April 25th through May 10th, zero scheduled off days for the Nats. And there's a West Coast trip in there uh, to Arizona and San Francisco. So that off day on the 11th is at the back end of that after they get home. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see. You're right. They have not, knock on wood, had to make any roster moves for anything other than injuries so far. And they haven't had to touch the bullpen so far. Will that continue? You know, they haven't had to burn anyone up. So maybe they are in good shape there. There are a few guys at AAA that they could call upon who have big league experience that I don't think they would hesitate to call upon if they needed to. But even the guys like Hobie Harris, I know this game wasn't great for him, but overall, he's been fine. Thaddeus Ward, the Rule 5 pick, has done fine for them. They have depth there, and I think they've done a pretty good job of managing it and keeping everybody in use, not overusing anybody else and having some success despite playing in, like we said, it's a close game just about every single night. They have not been blown out in a while. And so they have needed to use their relievers and use them aggressively throughout all this. One more thing with the weather. So, you know, it does stand out back-to-back days, coldest games for the Nats since the franchise came here, especially when you consider like all of the October games that this team has played since the franchise came here. I don't expect you to have committed to memory the game time temperatures for all of the Nationals postseason games, but is there an October game that stands out to you as having been particularly cold? Because it is something that these two regular season games well into April are colder than any game that the Nats have played in October, given again that the Nats have played a good number of October games since the franchise came here. Right. The two that I think of One of them is the 18-inning game at Nats Park, which started out much warmer, and by the end of the night, it was bitterly cold because a big cold front came through, and there were a lot of reasons that most anyone who was there would tell you that's the most miserable game they've ever been to. The weather was part of that, the events of the ninth inning, and then from that point on were a, a big part of it as well, but I don't believe it ever officially got down this cold. And let's also remember, we're talking officially game time temperature at first pitch, so it could have been colder than that, you know, later in the game. That's the w- first one. And the other one that comes to mind is Wrigley Field, the Steven Strasburg game, game four against the Cubs in 2017, when Strasburg initially 
wasn't going to make the start. Then he came back and did make the start because he was feeling well enough and was phenomenal for them in that game and uh, really started to solidify his stature as a big game pitcher for them. This is before he ever got to the uh, 2019 postseason. But I'm going to look this one up while we're talking and see what the official game time temperature was that day at Wrigley Field. And the answer is 59 degrees. How's that possible? <laughs> it did not feel like 59 degrees that day at Wrigley Field. So there you go. It, you know, A lot of this is also not just what the temperature says, but what it feels like and what the wind is like and all that. 35 though is 35. I don't care where you are. It was really cold. You could see how bundled up they all were for this game. Yeah. I mean, it's been almost comical. I mean, Victor Robles looks like he's a mummy in these games. I mean, you can barely see his face with how wrapped up he is. But yeah, man, game time temps in the 30s. Like, what are you supposed to do? You know, that's April in uh, Minnesota. What are you going to do? Well, the Nats are 2-0 and in this series. We hope for a three-game sweep come Sunday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, too at Nats Chat Podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com to get more info on what the great Mr. Newmark can do for you. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com all over the globe. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And nothing but strikes coming from Steven Strasburg. Bryant struck out his first time. Dusty Baker hoping that Thursday brings a game five back in Nationals Park. Bryant strikes out for the second time and Strasburg strikes out the side in the third. We head to the fourth at Wrigley.